0: Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a, what a great song, Lord, to be reminded of your great love for us. And that love was, Lord, um, expressed by you in the greatest way in the sending of your Son Jesus Christ into the world to die for sinners such as us who have turned from our sins and trusted in Christ. Father, thank you that you have shown us true life and meaning and purpose beyond the earthly treasures that we have here on this earth to eternal realities found only in jesus christ thank you for your great love for us thank you for the fact that you have made us a church those who have turned from their sins and trusted in christ and that we are one in jesus christ and that is a great expression of your love as well and finally lord we especially thank you this morning that you allow us in your love to open up your precious word That is also an expression of your love. The Bible is a love letter from you to us. And Father, we want to cherish and treasure it because it reveals the supreme God of the universe. So Lord, help us to approach it with reverence and respect and honor, eager, Lord, to listen and to hear and to meditate and ponder its truths so that we would apply them to our lives. Father, remove distractions from us, anxieties, those things that we are thinking about doing uh, later on, Father, there's nothing more important right now than to hear from you. I pray that we would have that humble, teachable heart even now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I had talked to to Ruth, our church uh, communications director, about actually doing a sermon on um, the Calvary distinctives, which are, as you know, priorities that we try to emphasize here at our church as we carry out our mission. And um, I might still come back and do that, maybe next week, uh, before we come back into Titus. But to be honest with you, my heart was redirected, especially these last few days. Not away from our mission as a church or from the importance of the Calvary distinctives, which are basically just based upon the principles from the Word of God. But my heart was redirected, and just to, in my own personal life, just to to refocus and recalibrate Uh, my own heart and the heart of my family and the heart of our church to be reminded this morning of our motivation for why we are here, which is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, The new year really provides us with a great opportunity to reflect upon how we did last year, right? We know that we are secure in Jesus Christ, that his work is finished, and yet we are called upon By the Lord to live in the power of the Spirit in an obedient way, pursuing holiness and the fear of God. So I hope that you have spent some time reflecting upon how that went last year for you. But the new year also provides us an opportunity to look forward to 2018 and to stop and consider what is most important and most essential for me as a creature of God and as a child of God. What is most important? What is most essential? And I pray that you have taken an opportunity to do that. You know, one of the dangers of our, in our society, in our fast paced, media saturated society that we live in, is that few of us really take the time to stop and think. To stop and reflect upon life and what really matters. To, to sit and dwell in silence at the feet of the Lord so that He would speak to us and so that we could talk obviously speak to him and commune with him via prayer right and he speaks to us through his word i I pray that you have taken that opportunity to to do that and so i thought this morning that as a church i wanted to help us to really pause and be reminded of our motivation and the purpose for which we do everything to sort of launch us into this next year And over and over again in my own life, there are passages, I'm sure, that are dear to your heart. One of the passages that is very dear to my own heart is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And I want you to turn your Bibles there to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I spent a lot of time these last couple of weeks um, just reflecting upon this passage here. And if you're there and you're able to stand with me, please stand with me as I read Luke 10:38 through42. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. and she came up to him and said, "Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone?" Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You may be seated. This is a very important passage um, in the narrative of the Gospel of Luke. If you're thinking time frame, this passage is basically located about six months before Jesus goes to the cross, the events of Passion Week. And in light of the fact that Jesus is about six months away from suffering and and dying on the cross for sinners, his focus is especially on intensely preparing his disciples for the suffering that is to come. And so then in the flow of that preparation, right smack in the middle of his preparation of his disciples, we have this very brief but convicting account of Jesus and Mary and Martha. This is the first time from what we gather in the Gospels that Jesus has interacted with Mary and Martha, but it's not going to be the last time because these women appear again about six months later in John chapter 11 and 12. And they are the sisters, if you remember, of Lazarus of Bethany, whom Jesus raises from the dead. So they are going to that he's going to become more and more acquainted with these women. If you studied the Gospel of Luke and I've and I've. Spend a lot of time in this gospel. At first glance, this little account seems to be kind of out of place. You can ask yourself, why these few verses inserted right here? In the midst of uh, the 70 have just been sent out, his 70 disciples to proclaim the gospel to places that he's going to go and, and visit, that Jesus is going to go proclaim concerning himself. Why insert it here, right? But the more that you look close at this gospel and you reflect upon its contents... It's very, very purposeful that Luke inserts it here. It's very deliberate. Because if you stop and think about the narrative, Jesus is a pr- quite the popular figure. He's been uh, publicly in his ministry for about three years now. He is growing in popularity. His fame has grown. But unfortunately, most of the people who have followed after Jesus Christ don't cherish and treasure Jesus because of who he is. They don't view him as the long-awaited promised Messiah, promised by the Old Testament prophets. They don't view him for the Messiah, the anointed king. They're enamored by the things that he does. Some people believe that he's a great teacher. Other people believe that he's a great prophet. Other people see him in light of his healing and his reaching out to the poor and the destitute as a great, kind person, very compassionate man. But they don't worship him for who he is. And so in the midst of this popularity and Jesus three years into his public ministry, Luke is very strategic, writing under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit and inserting this account here. To send us this message, beloved, listen, that Jesus is the most captivating person in the universe and our appropriate response should be unrivaled devotion to him. That is why this account exists here. Jesus is the most captivating, beautiful, glorious person in the universe. And while the multitudes don't recognize him for who he is, but are enamored by other things following for him for his benefits and his gifts, we have to worship him for the Lord and the Savior that he is. And, we, and in our hearts, he had to be unrivaled in terms of worship and adoration. So it's very, very strategic. And I want you to ask yourself this morning... As we look at this text, is Jesus King and Lord of my heart? What is detracting me away from the King of glory who is Christ? What is keeping me, if I'm a non-Christian, from giving my life to Christ? What pleasures, what possessions, what things, what, what about the American dream is, is so, so attractive That you think that if you pursue that for the rest of your life without giving your life to Christ, that somehow you will be okay in eternity. And for us who are believers, I get so concerned for us. I get so concerned for myself, so concerned for my family, so concerned for us as a church, so concerned for us as the church at large here in America and all over the world. You know why? Because there, it's, a, it's a very difficult time in, our, in, the, in the history of our world, right? So much persecution, so much anti-God agendas, so much suppressing of the truth of the existence of God and His one King, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the only hope for humanity, so many deluding religions, so many false Christs or diminished versions of Christ, This is a very difficult time. And not only that, but I get concerned for us because we live in a very busy, fast-paced, media-saturated society. For all of the great benefits of social media, there have been also some destructive things that it's brought, right? Because that's what the human heart does. We corrupt everything that we get our hands on. And it's easy to become distracted, beloved, with all of the peripheral stuff of life It's easy to waste our days, to not redeem the time knowing that the days are evil, to pursue the stuff and the fluff of life, to pursue materialism, to pursue selfish ambition and success and fame and all of that, to be anxious. We're so anxious for so many things. Pursuing the so-called American dream, right? So anxious. What does the world tell us? The world tells us that we need success, that we need possessions, that we need money, that we need uh, notoriety, that we need fame, right? That we need this particular job or that particular career to be significant and meaningful in this life. But the truth is, people want those things, beloved. They are not needs. They are not needs. And what this passage teaches us, mark it, is that there is really only one essential thing that you need, and His name is Jesus. He is the one that you need. He is the answer to the lost soul of the unrepentant sinner. He is the continual answer for the believer, the Christian, who has bowed the knee to the King, that in the midst of our sufferings and in the midst of our affliction, we continue to look to Jesus to be our strength, right? Right? It's all about Jesus. It's all about exalting Him. Every responsibility and role that you may have as a person, wherever you find yourself socially in life, whether you're a single or married person, you're a father or mother, husband, wife, son, daughter, employer, employee, neighbor, everything, everything, everything flows from your devotion to Jesus Christ and is to be shaped by Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, you can do nothing for His glory. You understand? Nothing. And to the extent that we as a church in 2018 abide in Christ, remain attached and connected to the vine, we will be effective in everything that we carry out. in all of the plans that we have set out for this year Listen, we can plan everything to the detail, to the max, but unless we submit our plans to the Lord Jesus Christ so that He shapes them and directs them, they matter nothing. Nothing. It is here in this text that we are reminded of the most beautiful, captivating person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to an unrivaled type of devotion to him, not only individually, beloved, but as a collective body, as a church. If Jesus isn't number one, we are simply um, idolatrous, right? We set up all kinds of idols in our own hearts. He must reign supreme in our own hearts and lives. And this is the message that is developed really in these verses here. And the way that Luke develops them is by giving us, presenting for us two portraits here uh, through two individual women. And then a lesson, the lesson to be learned from the very mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two portraits and one lesson to be learned from the very mouth of Christ. This is the point of this account. Our Lord Jesus is going to teach us very directly. And as we look at these portraits, I want you to ask yourself, which portrait describes me which portrait describes me ask yourself that note first we see the positive portrait of devotion to christ in verses 38 through 39 the positive portrait of devotion to jesus christ look with me in verse 38 it says this now as they were traveling along he entered a village and again we know that this is bethany from john chapter 11 and 12 that's where mary and martha lived that's where lazarus was raised from the dead And as Jesus and his disciples are traveling along, it says that a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. We don't know very much about Martha. Um, We we, uh, Most likely she was not married. She was probably the oldest, as she's mentioned here. She's the homeowner here of this particular household. We don't know very much about her, however. What we do know is that she welcomes him into her home and probably some of his disciples... And if you read the previous chapter of Luke, Jesus had just sent out 70 disciples, followers of his, to proclaim the gospel to places that he was about to go visit. So it's very likely that they've obviously heard of his fame, Mary and Martha here. But they have also heard from some of these disciples, one one or two or however, of the 70 that had just gone out to proclaim Jesus' name. So they know about him. And as you can imagine, Martha knowing how popular Jesus is and hearing about everything that he's done and the things that he has said, she's very excited. She's very enthusiastic. Um, probably wants to make a great impression upon Jesus. To some extent or another, she seems to understand who he is. In verse 40, she calls him Lord, giving evidence that maybe she believed in his claims to some extent or another. We can't be dogmatic about that. And so this account takes place in the home of this Martha, this woman named Martha. And then Luke quickly moves on to the second most important character in the account after Jesus, to a woman named Mary. Look at verse 39. It says, Martha, she, Martha, had a sister called Mary. Mary was the younger of the two. And note what Mary is doing. Who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Similarly, we're not told very much about Mary in this account. All we know here from this account is Mary's actions. If you were to be looking at at a movie here and this scene here, the camera would all of a sudden be fixed and focused upon this little sister Mary and her posture and disposition at that moment. All of the focus is upon her and those actions. And later on we're going to hear the assessment from Jesus' own mouth about, about Mary's actions. Details about her are not important at all. Mary's activity here is. Now as we read this in our culture, we might think, well, what's the big deal? I mean, she's just sitting at his feet, right? I mean, we do that all the time in our living rooms. What's the big deal? Well, obviously, it's not a big deal to us in our culture, but in that culture, it was a very big deal. It was very uncommon and unconventional for any woman to be doing what Mary is doing there, for that, her to have that kind of posture and disposition. In fact, you might say it was not very ladylike to many Jewish men. For her to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, they would have been shameful actions. The rabbis of the day tended to devalue women. They they considered it useless and vain to be teaching women. But hey, if they do want to learn, they need to stand in the back of the room and be as, as much away from attracting attention to themselves as possible. And yet what is Mary doing here in verse 39? She's not concerned about this. Notice verse 39. She is seated continually at the Lord's feet, listening continually to His Word. This is what she is This is her devotion being shown here. Her posture is humble. She has this vulnerable posture showing that she recognizes who is before her. She reverences Jesus. She honors Jesus. Notice also in verse 39 that her faculties are engaged. She's listening to His Word. Intentively, intently, showing that she values and treasures what's coming out of his mouth. This is a person enthralled and captivated by Jesus. And you know why that's so significant once again? Because multitudes were following after Jesus. He couldn't get any type of privacy. But they were following him, most of these people, for the wrong reasons. They wanted his benefits. They wanted his gifts. They wanted the food. They wanted the healing. They wanted the, the, to see the power of demons being cast out, that supernatural power, and yet they did not embrace him as the king, as the long-awaited Messiah. And this woman, Mary, is captivated by him. She recognizes who was ever before her. Remember how Jesus, even in John 6... Verse twenty, Verses 26 and following, at one point he calls out people and says, You follow me because I gave you food. Don't work for the food which perishes. And then later on there in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. I am your sustenance. I'm your vitality. I'm the one who satisfies. Not all of that stuff. People were following after Jesus for the wrong reasons. This woman is enthralled by his very presence. She's not there for his benefits. She cherishes Christ humbly there. There was nothing more important to Mary than sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing the life-giving words, life-transforming words coming from the God of the universe. What could possibly be more important than listening to Him, right? What could be more important? Beloved, I wonder. I wonder how many of us cherish and treasure the Word of God that way. And how many of us have already made plans in 2018 to prioritize spending time with the Lord in this way? You say, well, Jesus isn't here physically, so how does this apply to us? Of course He is not here physically incarnated, but now He reveals Himself in and through His Word, doesn't He? This is the Word of God. This is the Word of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? So He reveals to us, himself to us and 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 talks to us by means of his word and we talk back to him by means of prayer we communicate and we commune with our god today he speaks through his word and according to luke chapter 24 verse 44 all of the bible is ultimately about jesus That is in accordance with the eternal purpose of the Father. The Father is glorified when His Son, Jesus, is exalted in the power of the Spirit as revealed in His Word. And so Jesus is anticipated in the Old Testament. Jesus is presented in the Gospels, and Jesus is explained in the rest of the New Testament letters. Everything is about Jesus. So remember this, when you spend time in God's Word, you are not simply checking off a to-do list or a devotion time. You are spending time with a person, the King of the universe. It is not about duty. It's about delighting in Him. It's about being devoted to Him. Oh, I pray that this year you are you're already resolved and committed to cultivate an unrivaled devotion to Jesus by means of his word. How many of you have already begun your reading plans? If I were to ask for a show of hands, oh, thank you for some of you who did. Great. But some of you haven't. You say, well, is that the spiritual thing to do at Calvary? No, it's not the spiritual thing to do at Calvary. It's the Christian thing to do. You are a child of God and you have turned from your sins, put your faith in Jesus, and entered into a living, vibrant relationship with your Creator. And that happens by means of His Word, whereby He speaks to you, and you speak back to Him and commune with Him in prayer, right? It's a relationship. It's a relationship. How many of you have already made a commitment to put yourself in positions, in in small groups, or fellowship groups, or accountability groups, where the Word of God is going to be spoken to you and shared with you, so that you would grow in conformity to Christ? How many of you are already showing a devotion to Christ by being devoted to the church, by being devoted to his people? You are not a lone ranger. Lone rangers are what? Dead rangers, right? So are Christians who think they could just grow by themselves. It doesn't happen. You need the spirit, you need the word, and you need the bride of Christ, his people. It's not a philosophy of ministry. That is biblical Christianity. And so we are called here to an unrivaled devotion to Jesus Christ, and in our context, by means of His Word. And so for some of you who don't know the Lord here, who have not turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, who exist in a, in a broken relationship with God, your Creator, this begins by you opening up the Bible, and maybe reading through a, a Gospel of John, and asking yourself, this Jesus presented here? He claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be the creator of the universe. He claims to be the one who is going to suffer and die for sinners. And I am one of those sinners. What does that mean for me? You need to ask yourself that question. And of course the answer is, as we learned from Psalm 2 a couple of Sundays ago, Kiss the Son, worship Jesus Christ, right? Lest you perish in the way. There is hope for you. There is forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. That's where devotion for you begins. You need to be reconciled to your creator. You exist in mutiny and in rebellion against your creator. Every single human being born into this world is born in sin. We fall short of the glory of God. We don't live naturally to exalt our King, our Creator. We live for ourselves, for self-exaltation. And that gets expressed and shown in our wickedness, and our sin, in our evil motivations, evil thoughts, evil actions, evil pursuits. And at the core of that is you not loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly. Every single person born into this world falls short of the glory of God and is an enemy of God. And yet we just sung the love of God, didn't we? The love of God whereby He sent His Son Jesus into the world. What is the good news? The good news, the gospel, the good news. It's Jesus Christ who came to earth, lived the perfect life, died for sinners in our place on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. God poured His wrath upon Him because of us, because of our sin. He didn't deserve that, right? He satisfied the wrath of God for our sins. And it is only by trusting upon that sacrifice, Jesus in our place for our sins, that we can be forgiven, we can be reconciled to our Creator, you see. That's where devotion for you begins, if you have not given your life to Christ. So Mary here was captivated by Jesus and resolved to be devoted to him she was the example of supreme devotion to christ and this unrivaled devotion really becomes even more evident and accentuated even more as we look at the contrast in verse 40 where we see the the negative portrait of sad neglect the negative portrait of sad neglect look at verse 40 luke wants us to see the strong contrast he says but martha in contrast to mary he says Here's the opposite. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And the idea there of preparations is with her much service. First time I read this account, of thought, say what? I thought service uh, was what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, let's be reasonable. Let's not be hypocritical here. Why do we come down on Martha in this context? If, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't we want to serve a famous person if they were to come into our home as our guest? I mean, what if the president of the United States would come in and visit you? Or maybe a past president that you really look up to, okay? These days it's hard to kind of say that, right? <clears throat> but we should still honor our president and pray for him, right? But what if a famous president that you respect were to visit your home? Wouldn't you be concerned about serving and making all of the right preparations? What if the president of your company were to come and visit your home? Special visit. Special visit. You would wanna, you would wanna give them the best, right? What if a famous athlete were to be, were to be coming to visit you? What if an admired person from a particular field that interests you would come and visit your home? You would want to make the, the best preparations possible for that person. Why are, do we have, why do we pick a bone with poor Martha here? Wouldn't we be eager to prepare the best? I mean, you certainly, as far as food goes, you, you wouldn't serve the, the, the special person mac and cheese, would you? That's pretty pathetic. No. You would want to impress them with the meal that you would serve. So what would you serve them? You would want to cook the best kind of food for your special guest, and everyone knows what the best kind of food is, and that they would probably serve Mexican food, right? See, man, every time I say that, you guys always laugh at me. But you guys know it's true the heavenly food you would have the best kind of food Mexican food I mean you would pop out with the carne asada right some beans brown beans by the way are better than black beans brown beans some yellow rice some homemade tortillas and some chile verde green salsa for those of you who need a translation right you have to have chile verde right Bob pal you have to have that and you have to have guacamole you got to have that I mean you would want the best for your special guest we're no different than, Martha's no different than us. And not only that, but you would make sure the house is spick and span. I mean, you'd be on your hands and knees dusting and cleaning every nick and cranny so that there, everything is completely, completely clean and your guest doesn't detect any kind of dirt or filth, right? That's what you would do. See, we can identify with Martha. Isn't she concerned about good things? being hospitable being a good hostess she wants your guests to feel comfortable especially Jesus of all people so what's the problem isn't service good well notice verse 40 notice the text in verse 40 it says that she was distracted with all of her preparations the word distracted there is a strong word which means to be dragged away to be pulled or yanked in a different direction What direction? Well, she's a very busy little bee, isn't she? Preparing food, cleaning, making sleeping arrangements for maybe Jesus and more than just Jesus, maybe some of his disciples. She's running around trying to make sure everything is ready for Jesus and most likely his companions. But here is the problem, beloved. Martha had lost sight of the main thing or better, the main person who is Jesus in the midst of her service. Because at that moment, in light of who was in her presence, nothing was more important than sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his life-giving words. See, Jesus does not want service without devotion or delight, right? Think of it as a parent. The parent who wants his children to obey and to do their chores and their tasks. We all want that as parents. But I have often told my kids, it is more important to me the attitude with which you do what I ask you to do than just doing it on the outside. I want to know that your heart's in it. And at the end of the day, if their heart's not in it, they still have to do it, right? But you want their hearts to be engaged and for them to be doing it for the right reason. So there is the ongoing parental task to shepherd a child's heart, right? Listen, when it comes to our Lord, our Lord wants our hearts, doesn't he? We can identify with all of this. How many of us serve? Well, we get so bogged down with the duty and responsibilities, the, the to-do list. We lose sight of in the process of all that needs to be done. Even, even spiritual matters can become a distraction because we lose sight of who we are doing it for. We are doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ to exalt him. How many of us haven't spent time doing churchy type service, right? Spiritual service. All the while in our service, having no heart. No love for the Lord. No love for others. We become like the Pharisees who honored God with their lips and outward service, but their hearts were far from the Lord. Far from the Lord. We've all been there. As Martha is pulled in different directions here and has lost sight of her greatest priority and and even why perhaps she is doing all of this, that Jesus is the one who shapes and gives purpose to even what she's doing in this particular point in time. So we oftentimes lose focus as well, do we not? No, it's not that everything that we do is explicitly sinful. There's some good priorities that we hold. That's not the issue. Rather... It is that we have misplaced priorities. We put other things above Christ. And if you start searching and asking yourself the hard questions, more often than not, those things that you prioritize, probably you're prioritizing them above the Lord. That's where the challenge lies. And then things get busy, and we forget that even the good things, even ministry can become a sinful thing when we are not doing it from the heart as unto the Lord. Now notice in verse 40, it gets even worse here. It gets even worse. Not only is Martha distracted, has these misplaced priorities, and she's lost sight of Jesus, but now she responds sinfully and she strikes back at the Lord and at her sister. Look at verse 40. It says, And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me whoa wow i mean mary is sitting with the posture of humble teachability before the lord with reverence and honor and mary or martha walks right up to the lord gets in his face and confronts the lord of the universe think about that martha goes from misplaced priorities to a sinful attitude and now she goes on the attack right what does she do She questions, first of all, the Lord's genuine caring concern for her. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? How many times have you been there, and I've been there, by the way, where all of a sudden things don't go the way that we want them to go, even in our service, and all of a sudden we blame God for it? It's God's fault that this happened to me, right? Lord, why are you allowing that to happen in my life? Why is that taking place? Why are you allowing people to exploit me? Why are you allowing people to hurt me? Right? You blame God. To make matters worse, notice, she audaciously commands Jesus here. It's as if, as if Martha was in control and she is in authority. I mean, doesn't she know who she's speaking to here? Then tell her to help me, she commands Jesus. I mean, this is one stressed out woman whose priorities are all twisted and misplaced. And rather than learning from Mary and sitting down to spend time with Jesus in humble teachability, she turns the table, goes on the attack against the Lord Jesus Christ, and even throws her own sister under the bus. Right? Tell her to help me. Lazy lady, lazy sister, Mary. That's what happens, right? When we lose sight of the Lord. Not only do we go after God, but all of a sudden now it's conflict with everybody around us. Think about that. What had happened to Martha? I submit to you that service had stopped being a blessing and a privilege and had become a burden and a chore for her, right? But it wasn't anybody's fault, you understand. It wasn't Mary's fault who she throws under the bus there. Just tell her to help me, my lazy sister. It's not about her. It's ultimately a spiritual problem, isn't it? She was distracted, even in her virtuous service. She had lost sight of the one that she was doing this for, you understand. Misplaced priorities. That's what happens to us, right? I remember one mentor once telling me, Kempis, no conflict between you and another person is ever ultimately, and that's the the emphatic word, ultimately personal between you and another human being. And in an ultimate sense, yeah, it may seem, feel very personal, but ultimately it's a spiritual problem at its core, in your heart and in the heart of the other person. Something is missing about Jesus that you're not reflecting upon and applying to your life. That's true, isn't it? That was the problem here with Martha. With Martha. Nobody else was the problem. It was a spiritual problem. A spiritual problem that she had. And this is what happens when we're distracted and not focused upon the Lord. Even when we are when we are serving and even in our service we can become cold and lukewarm and indifferent to the Lord and to other people beloved. Something's going wrong with our hearts. Service stops becoming about about the Lord, cherishing the Lord, spending time with the Lord, enjoying intimate fellowship with Him and with His people. And then sin takes root in the heart in the form of bitterness. We become bitter and we, became, we start, start to verbalize our grumbling and our complaining to the Lord and to other people around us. It's about my circumstances. It's my spouse's fault. It's my husband. It's my wife. It's my kids'. It's people in the church. It's people in society. It's my neighbors. They're mean to me. Everybody's fault. And the last thing that we do is look in the mirror to see what God is exposing about us. But when we are abiding in Christ, delighting in Jesus, then flowing from a devotion to Jesus will be gratitude, right? I don't deserve anything. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to serve. This is all for you. Humility i'm not comparing myself to other people in light of who you are lord i am nothing and yet in christ you have given me everything pertaining to life and godliness right everything selfless loving service follows when we're devoted to christ so mary was a distracted woman with misplaced priorities and we're very distracted people the world is a distraction right not that we are called to, to leave the world. We can't leave the world, but we can't be adopting the world mindset, right? The philosophical systems the thinking of the world. So the world thinking becomes a distraction. Our jobs, our careers, keeping up all our possessions, all of those things become a distraction. And you know what else can become a distraction to even you as a, as a man of God or a woman of God pursuing the Lord? Even your family can become a distraction. And the best way that I could put that There are so many parents who spend time every single day just just, um, uh, putting uh, activity after activity after activity for their kids all the while neglecting their hearts. All the while not spending time in God's Word. Not talking to the Lord in prayer. It's about my kid getting all the skills, all the abilities, everything that they need, the best education possible, all the while you never spend time with the Lord. Listen to me. The best thing that you can do for your family as a man or woman of God is to be close with Jesus in intimacy daily, consistently. That is the best thing you can do, you understand. And the world doesn't know anything about that. Those are eternal spiritual realities. How are you, as a man of God or as a woman of God, able to be the brother or sister in Christ that you need to be if you are not intimately in fellowship with Jesus? You're not going to be spiritually sensitive to the needs of those in your household or those the, the needs of those in your in your in your in the church or in your community or in your neighborhood or in your workplace if you are not connected to the vine? That's why Jesus said what? Abide in me. Right? As the branch cannot bear fruit apart from the the, the, the the vine, so you cannot bear fruit apart from me. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? That's what he said. Christian service devoid of intimacy and fellowship with Christ doesn't honor the Lord, beloved, and we must reject it. Well, we've seen the portrait, the positive portrait of supreme devotion, the negative portrait of sad neglect, and now I want us to see the encouragement to an unrivaled devotion from the, words of our, from the mouth of our Lord. The encouragement to an unrivaled devotion of Christ in verses 41 through 42. We might ask ourselves at this point, was this just a case of a diligent woman, Martha, and of a lazy woman, Mary, who wasn't doing her duties while Jesus was there? Obviously, that's not the, the issue, right? Jesus is always right. And here in verses 41 through 42, he tells us the lesson that we must learn. And don't fool yourself before we read these verses that you are Mary. And so that you don't need to hear the message of verses 41 through 42 because we are all Martha's more often than not, right? We're all Martha, So we need to hear Jesus' encouragement here. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, Martha. Anytime you see a repetition like that, right, there's trouble coming, right? There's correction coming. By, by the way, your parents ever do this? They, Whenever you were in trouble, they they called you by your first, middle, last name, and any other last names, right, and any pet names you might have had, right? Kempis, Garcia, Picasso, Coda, Hernandez. Get over here. Right? That was not a good sign, right? That's the idea here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Things. I love how the Lord is so gracious here, right? He could have sharply rebuked her for her dishonor and disrespect toward him, her irreverence, but what does he do? In a very sympathetic, gentle way, he exposes her problem, first of all. He says, You are worried. In other words, overly concerned, anxious, and bothered or troubled about so many things. In other words, your heart is not right, Martha. Too many concerns. Your priorities are misplaced. He exposes her problem, and then he gives her the solution. Look at verse 42. What is the lesson to be learned from this account? Not only for Martha, but for us as well. He says in verse 42, But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here is the, Jesus' perfect assessment of the situation, and it is this, that Martha had missed the whole point of his visit. She had lost sight of her greatest need. That is the good part here. What is the good part? Jesus. Christ. Here was the most humble, glorious, compelling, wisest, insightful, mighty person in the universe, right? In her her presence. And what was she doing? She was preoccupied with other things, all in the name of spiritual service. She had missed Jesus. Let's get back to the basics, Martha. Back to the basics. Christianity 101. 1. What did you need at the moment of your conversion, Christian? You needed Christ, right? Only hope. What do you need now when you're 1, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years in the Lord? Who do you need? Jesus. That's what Martha needed. Be with me. Listen to me. Know me. Love me. And out of the overflow of that, you can serve me, right? That was the message to Martha here. Mary had done this. Look at verse 42. Only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. In other words, it's like Jesus is saying, I'm not going to tell her to help you, Martha. Mary understands. She gets it, okay? What is most important, most needed at this moment, and you don't, you need to learn from Mary, your sister, and sit at my feet with that humble, teachable heart. Listen, you want to know what, Christ most wants from each of us and for us as a church in 2018? He wants a spirit-empowered resolve in each of us and in us collectively as a church to be so captivated by Christ that He is unrivaled in our hearts and in everything that we do in life. Everything that we carry out as far as ministries go all over the church. Every pursuit in your home Every pursuit as a husband and father, every pursuit as a mother or wife, every pursuit as a single person who is faithful, every pursuit is shaped by your devotion to Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would be singularly devoted to Christ, that we would treasure and cherish Jesus beloved above anything, right? That was my heart cry these last couple of weeks, that that would be true in my life. Because oftentimes it isn't. David, in Psalm 27, verse 4, says this. Listen, one thing, one thing I have asked from the Lord. And not only does he ask it, he says, but that I shall seek. I'm going to put my all my willpower, and we know that this is in the power of the Spirit. All of this, I'm going to seek. What does he seek? And what is the one thing that he asks from the Lord? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What do you want to do there, David? To behold the beauty of the Lord. To inquire or meditate in his temple. That's what David wants more than anything else. And he was going through horribly troubling times in the midst of his suffering. He wants to live well under his suffering. And he says, God, all I want to do is dwell in your presence, beholding your beauty. I want to be with you. Paul in Philippians 3.13 told us what his supreme priority was. He says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My priority, says Paul, is to pursue the prize. Who is the prize? Jesus is the prize. And this is after at least a couple of decades of Paul walking with Christ. He still wanted to forget the past, and I'm sure even his good accomplishments that he didn't boast in, and he wanted it to be all about Jesus. He wanted to be devoted and passionately unrivaled, adoring Christ. That's what he wanted. See, Jesus is not to be one of our priorities, right? One of our many priorities. A citation on the story of our lives. Jesus is the whole story, you understand. Paul said to the Colossians Jesus is our life, right? When our life is revealed, who is Christ coming back, then we also will be revealed with him in glory. Jesus is everything. It's all about exalting and elevating Christ in our thoughts, in our motives, in our pursuits, in the way we raise our families, in the way we do church, in the way we reach the world for Christ. It's all about exalting Christ. Not exalting self. Isn't that the problem? Wasn't that your problem as an unbeliever before coming to know Jesus Christ? You at the core wanted to exalt yourself. That's what we wanted to do. Elevate self. Elevate my self-esteem. Elevate my success. Selfish ambition. This thing. That pursuit. But when we come to know Jesus Christ, we are called, beloved, to subordinate everything under the treasured, cherished Christ. Everything. Everything. He is to be everything god doesn't just want your service he wants you he wants you he wants me he wants our hearts because if he has you and i at our core then we're going to do anything for him The more that you and I are captivated by Jesus Christ, you will be a godly single person, husband, father, wife, mother, servant in the church, grandparents, employer, employees, neighbor being witnesses for your neighbors. The more that we are captivated by the glory of Christ as revealed in his word the more effective we will be for the advancement of the gospel. The reason why we don't share our faith is because we are not captivated by Jesus enough. The reason why we don't serve in the church from the heart is because we have a Jesus problem. He is too small. We stick him in our back pocket. He is not the Jesus revealed in God's Word. He is not. And so what is the answer? To behold Him on the pages of His Word. Amen? To behold His beauty. Listen, Martha loved Jesus to some extent or another. Evidently, she believed in him. She, as I said in verse 40, she calls him Lord to some extent or another. She believed in him. She eventually became an even closer friend of Jesus in John 11 and 12. But here she had lost sight of Christ. And that can happen to us as well. For some of us, this is what we need to return to. We need to return in the words of Revelation to our first love. You need to return to your first love. Resolve in 2018 to be so captivated by Christ that he is unrivaled in your heart. That is my prayer for us. That is my prayer for us because there's so much in life, isn't there, that just distracts us. Even good things can do that, detract us away from the main person that we are living for, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you guys remember your wedding day. Um... To me, honestly, my wedding day was all all a blur. I mean, I remember there being some people there. There I mean, there was a lot of people there, but I don't remember most of the people that were there. I mean, we've met people over the years that said, hey, it's so good to see you. We have not seen you since your wedding. I'm like, oh, you were there? Oh, thank you for coming, right? There were people there. You know, I, I have some semblance. I recall the decorations being somewhat nice and taking some pictures, I think. Well, we have the, on our wall, we have the evidence, Right. our our portrait of my wife and I. So I know we took some pictures. I remember people giving us gifts and just different things. But there's one moment that I will never forget. And I've never forgotten. I've pondered it over and over again. And that is the moment when I was standing in the front with the bridesmaids and groomsmen standing there. and 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 I hear the background music. It's time for the bride to walk down the aisle, right? And then the doors open. And I was already wearing glasses then, so I was blind without my glasses. I mean, the whole time I, I basically didn't wear my glasses for the pictures and all of that because Andrea didn't want glasses in the pictures. <clears throat> but when she, when I heard that background music, that organ playing, and it was time for her to come in, those glasses were on. I mean, one guy actually told me later, and he says, I asked you a question about the, the, uh, the, uh, the ring, and you, you totally ignored me. And, and what it was is I was so ready for her to walk in. I didn't want to be distracted. And then she walked in, and she was a beautiful, lovely light, sight to watch, right? Now, can you imagine if at that moment um, my focus and the focus of every groomsman or every groom is, is uh, um, to, to, for the bride to come in, right? For you to be married to this woman. Can you imagine if all of a sudden, as the doors are opening and there's this background music and everybody's standing up, if all of a sudden I start admiring the church building? Wow, it's a really nice structure here at Calvary. Hmm. I love the carpet. Pfft, beautiful. Oh, cushion seats. Everybody loves cushion seats, right? Oh, I didn't know that you were going to be here for this wedding. Uh, hey, how's it going? Right? And I started focusing on other people who were in the sanctuary. Or what if I started focusing on on who's playing the the organ behind me, or talking to one of the groomsmen, or having conversations. Every person knows that the focus of, of my heart and, and my top priority at that moment is to see my bride, right? That she's in my focus. And nothing is to distract me away from that. Now, listen, that's what happens to us in the Christian life, right? In an infinitely greater way, how often times do we focus on the fluff of life and even of ministry and service and all of that, all the while forgetting about the one that we are doing it for, that he is the main person, the main event of our lives, right? We do that all the time. Focus on peripheral matters, secondary matters. Jesus stops becoming precious and treasured in our hearts, and it leads to all kinds of chaos, right? In our lives in our homes, and in our churches. Beloved, this year, you as an individual personally, and for us as a church, resolve to be devoted to Jesus Christ so that he would be unrivaled in your heart as King and as Lord. Amen? Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this great simple message here. That Lord exhorts us and challenges us to ask ourselves some tough questions, even as we look to the new year. Who is truly reigning in our hearts and lives? Is it the great idol of self that finds expression in so many other things, in selfish pursuits, selfish ambition, materialism, pleasure? Or is it Christ, our Redeemer, the one in whom we can find forgiveness? of sins and be reconciled to you oh father i pray that you would speak to us and convict us and help us not to leave today unchanged not thinking and pondering upon these great realities that have to do with our very soul for eternity father help us to be a christ exalting church full of individuals and families who hold jesus as the unrivaled lord and savior of our hearts And that in everything that we do as a church, that every single ministry, men's, women's, children's, youth, whatever the ministry may be, may we ask ourselves in what we are doing and the activities that we are administrating, is this accomplishing the exaltation of Christ and the growth of people? Help us to do that, Lord. We thank you so much for this this, uh, wonderful message. In Christ's name, amen.